0: Well, welcome back to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Uh, this week, we got a lot happening because we're going to get my little riff on the news. Uh, we're going to highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. We got two friends today. We're going to call Trey Gowdy, tell you a little bit about some of the things that we went through in Congress. Just a few minutes with, uh, with uh, the former congressman from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy. And then you'll hear the full conversation where we, we dial up and talk to Tommy Laren because she's uh, she's got a fascinating background. In fact, I always learn things when we do these interviews, and I think we'll. I, I, Tommy's one of the fascinating personalities out there, and we'll have a good discussion with her. But uh, let's get right after the news because there's a lot happening, and I, I got to tell you, I I look at this whole fiasco that uh, the CDC and the Centers for Disease Control. And the Biden White House has put us through with these mask mandates, and it's so confusing, right? I, I see these pictures with, with Joe Biden, and he's walking through a cemetery. There's nobody close to him, and he's wearing a mask. After the Centers for Disease Control say, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outside, you don't need to wear a mask. And, you know, it really gets to a, a couple of thoughts that I just wanted to share with you before we, we bring on this stupid Uh, The first is, I think we always need to step back and take a deep breath and think about what is the proper role of government? Like, what is the proper role of how the government should react in these types of situations? My take on it as a conservative, I believe that the government can do things in rallying um, uh, resources to fight off a disease or if something's coming at our country. I I think there is a proper role and that would be a good use of money. But the proper role of government is to give the people of the United States of America the information and allow them to make their own decisions. Self-determination, self-responsibility are some of the pillars of things that we believe in as the American people. It adds to liberty and freedom. And if there is information that is vital that should be shared with the American people, then give them that information and let them make that decision. And I, I you know I also think you have to respect businesses. Some businesses will deal with things differently than others. It's sort of like the gun control debate. You know, if you're if you have private property and you own a business, you can make the determination as to whether or not you want people to be able to bring a weapon onto your premises. And that's just one of the foundations of personal property rights. Your second amendment right to carry, yes, that is paramount, but when you're going on somebody else's personal property, then they get to make that decision. Same thing with masks. If a bakery in Sacramento, California decides that, hey, you know what, um, you, you have to wear a mask to come in here, then let's respect that. But if you are in Dubuque, Iowa, and they say no masks needed, um, then they can make that decision. And if you are afraid of going into a business that doesn't mandate masks, then guess what? You don't have to go there. But if you want to go there, you can go there. Again, it's about personal responsibility. It's about personal freedom. It's about the proper role of government in making sure that we provide that information. And then the public can make an educated decision. But what it feels like now, what we've gravitated to is that politics are really driving these decisions. You know, my... Friend and colleague uh, at Fox News uh, as a contributor, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, she has a new book coming out. It's called Panic Attack. This is exactly what she talks about. She walks through all the science and then compares it to the politics of the day and talks about how the politics have kind of corrupted what the science is doing and that they're not always in sync. I also think it's important for us to remember, I think that the White House right here, right now, here today, the reason you still see people like Dr. Fauci, who's fully vaccinated, and Joe Biden, who's fully vaccinated, and Kamala Harris is fully vaccinated, wearing masks with other people that are fully vaccinated is because they're in sales mode. Folks, they are trying to get another $4 trillion bill passed. And if there is not a crisis, then what is the justification for getting into extra $4 trillion dollars? This is what I wrote about in Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. It's my third book that's out. In Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, it is the absolute formula of the left to be able to say, oh, there's a crisis, so we're going to have to do something we wouldn't normally do. It includes more government, less freedom, more money, more control. And that's ultimately what government wants. Particularly, that's the approach the Democrats want. That's what liberals want. They want more government, more control. They can solve more, do more. They want to redistribute the wealth. They want to be able to tax you and then be able to hand it out to people that they choose. And um, that's what I think we're seeing right now is this combination. And it's deadly and it is not fun and it is corrosive and it is not core to where we are as an American people. And um, I I think the math. The other thing I'd really like to see is those kids should have been back in school a long time ago. There was not the science to suggest that kids were contracting, dying from the coronavirus. There are other things that are actually far more uh, aggressive against kids, um, but they need to be back in school. The social impact, the, the psychological impact, the loss of education in those formative years i think we're going to pay a heavy heavy toll on that for a long time and for goodness sake do you really need a three-year-old on an airplane to wear a mask the science has been telling us that oh you know what the air circulates every two minutes on the airplane is about the cleanest air on the planet well you don't need a three-year-old having to wear a mask when they're flying from atlanta georgia to salt lake city it's ridiculous and it continues because the government wants more control so that's my little riff on the news Time to bring on the stupid. Because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, I got three candidates this week. You're going to have to figure out how to ping me on social media. I'm at Jason in the House. Um, You can find me all over the social media there, or go to JasonintheHouse.com and you'll find me there. All right, so three candidates for bringing on the stupid, and I'm a big fan of the website The Smoking Gun. Uh, they bring us two of the candidates today. Uh, one of them was a a woman. Uh, she was a Florida teacher, and uh, she was arrested for allegedly uh, spraying four teenagers. Now, these charges have been dropped. In fact, the headline in the Smoking Gun: Charges dropped against teacher busted for spraying students with aerosol disinfectant. If she didn't like the way you were wearing your mask, she'd go up to you with disinfectant and start spraying you. It got so bad that they actually arrested her. But according to the court filing, allegedly, um, they were not wearing their mask properly. And that's the way she was going to solve it. Nothing like a little spray to the face. But charges were dropped. That was the allegation. But man, if anything close to that happens, that qualifies for bringing on the stupid all right, candidate number two was happened in the country of Spain. You know, I'm kind of proud that Jason in the House podcast brings you the stories you would get nowhere else, but FoxNews.com did do this story. A man in Spain was locked out of Twitter for saying, quote, a man cannot get pregnant, end quote. Now, that was a pretty radical statement. Uh, this person was uh, part of the far-right Vox party. I have no idea what this party is. I've never heard of them, never read about them. I don't know what they stand for. But evidently, this uh, Francisco Jose Contreras, um, he's the deputy for in Spain's far-right Vox party. The allegation is that he was locked out of his Twitter account for 12 hours by saying a man cannot get pregnant because they have, quote, no uterus or eggs, end quote. Well, guess what? Um, that Twitter informed him that that violated its hate speech for the remarks. It locked him out before they demanded that they he reiterate this in a more positive way. That, to me, is just flat-out stupid, Twitter. That qualifies for saying something stupid. Doing something stupid that just rises to a level that's... Uh, This is a whole nother level. Um, And then we have a woman again highlighted in the, by the smoking gun. She's also a candidate. So let me know about uh, what you think about her. This is the headline out of the smoking gun woman busted for ground beef battery. Well, evidently at a Walmart in Ohio, um, the allegation is that a woman allegedly struck a female victim in the face with a quote, 10 pound log of ground beef. Evidently, the, they, they, there were kids there, kids involved. They had had uh, problems and challenges before. Suddenly, they saw each other there at the Walmart. One woman grabs the 10-pound log of ground beef and started whacking the other woman right there in the aisle of Walmart. You know, folks, I got to tell you, this was a $22 retail meat log that was used as a, quote, blunt object to attack the other female. The police had to get involved. And you know what? That just qualifies as somebody doing something stupid somewhere. There's are the three candidates this week. All right. Now it's time for some stories from the halls of Congress. And, uh, you know, I spent eight and a half years in Congress. And one of the people I spent a lot of time with because I was on the House Judiciary Committee with him, I was on the House Oversight Committee with him. I'd see him in the morning. I'd see him at night. we go to dinner. I spent way too much time with Congressman Trey Gowdy. But he and I had a lot of laughs uh, along the way, and some funny things happened to us in Congress. So let's give uh, Trey Gowdy a call. Hey, this is Trey. Hey, Trey. Jason Chaffetz, thanks. Uh, I'm doing my phone a friend here on my podcast, and uh, I, I want to tell some of the stories of things we did in Congress. And uh, I thought there was no better person to call than you about the time where you and I, along with a number of other members, had an opportunity to go meet uh, Justice Scalia. I mean, quite an honor, first time I'd met him. I think it was the first time you got to meet him. And we went to this off Capitol Hill. Remember, we went to this restaurant you sat right next to him. In fact, I took a picture of the two of you guys to, uh, sitting shoulder to shoulder, and uh, but some other members are there. And I just want to set the scene because what happened during that dinner was <laughs> one of the most amazing stories of my time in Congress.
2: Uh, well, um, first of all, I need I need to make sure I have all of your cell phone numbers because this one did not pop up under your name, or else I would not have answered it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm, I'm my, I, I've got a good tech person, and so, yeah, I, I, I think I'm glad I got through to you. You never answer. They, that is not a joke. You never answer your phone. I, I, I At don't least that's been my experience.
2: Well, number one, my phone is never on because if your phone goes off in a courtroom, that phone then becomes the property of that judge, <laughs> and I don't want to lose all of my uh, photos uh I don't care about any of the rest of it, but I don't want to lose pictures of my kids when they were young. So I don't want my phone. Although they tell me there's something called the cloud or something. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I don't want to lose my phone. So I don't have it on. Yes. I remember that dinner. Peter Roscombe put it together. Yep. And he congressman out of Illinois. Yep. He let us go to dinner one night with Roger Goodell. Although you probably were not invited because of how embarrassing you were at the Scalia dinner. But he invited – I got to go to all of them, and, yes, I sat next to Justice Scalia because I thought it'd be neat to have two of the most powerful legal intellects uh, that have ever walked the face of the earth sitting beside each other. <laughs> who was on the other
1: side
0: of them? That must have been – who was that? So just to set the scene here, Peter Roskam, great guy. Love that guy. He's, he and his wife, just wonderful people. We went around the room. And everybody got a chance to ask the justice a question. do you do you remember
2: what I asked? Do I remember? I have spent hours and thousands of dollars in therapy trying to get that night. Yes, I remember I remember extremely well. I asked him a question about the Supreme Court resolving kind of branch fights, like between the executive branch and the legislative branch. I think President Obama was still the president then. We're having a hard time getting getting information from the executive branch. And in fairness, Democrats would say they had a hard time getting it from Republican presidents. But, yeah, I made the mistake of asking him what role the Supreme Court played in refereeing branch fights. And um, I, in hindsight, should have picked... Uh, another question because he uh, he had a very he had very definite ideas on on that i as i
0: recall it took maybe 20 seconds to answer your question
2: <laughs> um i think it was the framers gave you all the tools you need to wage that fight you just lack uh the courage or and a bunch of other words that uh, discipline, other words that were completely unfamiliar to me, but you you basically lack the will to stand up for yourself. So don't expect us to come in and help you when you won't help yourself. And by this point, I had slidden all the way down in my seat where nobody could see my head. But believe it or not, Jason, believe it or not, that was not the dumbest question asked that night.
0: No, and, you know, in retrospect, you got an opportunity to ask a Supreme Court justice a question. And I could have, of course, had a, a good dialogue, really, with him about the Jones case, which I didn't I didn't choose to do in that form. It wouldn't have been fair to everybody else. So I went ahead and asked him about how do we stick yeah, up for yeah, him. You right
2: asked him what his favorite color was. No, no, no I, I remember
0: I, <laughs> favorite color. No, but the person who asked the question that was in that genre was even worse than that. So I asked him about... Uh, a question about how do states stand up for themselves in the cases like, you know, no child left behind and whatnot. Then he gave me a really good answer. He's like, look, if you sign up, if a state decides to take federal money, then guys like us are going to be able to force you to live under the federal rules. And I have told that story so many times in Utah, but by far, I mean, in my wildest dreams, if you and I sat down for a month and thought of the most amazing question that we could ask Justice Scalia, we would not have even been in the universe of what was asked. So, share with the audience here what was asked of the justice.
2: Uh, we had a colleague. Um, I will not call his. I got to put but- it
0: on mute because it's hard for me not to just laugh out loud on this one. Okay, go ahead. I'm not gonna.
2: I'm not gonna call his name because. I don't even though it's true, I would still be sued for defamation and libel because no one would believe that a member of Congress <laughs> would start a question this way. So I mean just to set the stage, everybody's incredibly serious. It's almost like you're in church. You you have a Supreme Court justice incredibly well regarded by the people at that table and Peter Roskam's done a phenomenal job of kind of setting the tone and with the exception of the question you ask all the other questions were really good and really thoughtful and then we get around to this other person and he begins by saying Justice Scalia my wife and I like to play this little game (laughs) and we all are sitting there just petrified at the next thing that is getting ready to come out of his mouth because we're, you know, this particular member in my defense, only God knows what the next thing to come out of his mouth. I mean, it really could have been like an NC 17 game that he played with his wife. So we're sitting there on pins and needles. I mean, who starts a sentence to a Supreme court justice with, My wife and I like to play this little game. Now, it turned out, thankfully. It went downhill from there. I mean, come on. Uh, Well, but the ultimate game was pretty benign compared to what we were all worried about. I think it was a game like if you could be anybody. Any historical
0: figure, what would you
2: be? Because I remember asking you one time, if you could be anybody in history, <laughs> living or dead, who would it be? And you thought for a second and said, oh, definitely the living person.
1: <laughs>
0: but what he, So you get any question on the face of the planet, you're going to ask Justice Scalia. And it starts
2: with, you know, my wife and I like to play this little game. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, you and I made eye contact when he said that. And because we know this member and we're on committees with him, I it's been a long time. I think it was actually on the verge of getting arrested in college when I had prayed that hard that God would <laughs> intervene in something. It, but I was thinking, uh, what is getting ready to come out of Congressman Blank's mouth?
0: <laughs> well, I thought it went downhill from there when he said, you know we like to pretend we're historical figures so if you were going to pretend to be one of these historical figures who would you be hey i well, cannot look, keep a straight Jake. face i had tears coming down my eyes cuz i just thought this is a special moment in congress that i will never forget
2: yeah well don't be jealous that you and julie don't have as as exciting a life is this congressman uh, and his wife and that y'all have never decided to play dress up or try to be some historical figure i mean that's more a reflection of y'all than it is of them.
0: <laughs> well to those of you listening this was just one of the great members a great moments uh, of our time in congress trey thanks so much for joining me today uh, i'm going to call you back or we're, we're going to share some other memories along the way hey
2: Thanks for ruining my life and uh, making me relive uh, that dinner. I'm going to go back to my therapist off. All right.
0: I'll call you back from a different number next time. I appreciate you answering. Okay. Well, you're on the do
2: not call list, so I'll see you. (laughs) See ya.
0: Well, again, I can't thank Trey enough for joining us. We'll do some more of those because Trey, Trey and I did have a lot of laughs and some funny things just did happen. I mean, you spend that amount of time together. In a strange place like the United States Congress, and there's weird things that are going to happen. But now it's time to call Tommy Laren because uh, Tommy, I've, I really have great admiration for. Her. She's got a backbone. She's got an opinion. She is not bashful about sharing it. And I want to learn more about Tommy Laren and her background. You see her on Fox News and certainly at Fox Nation uh, where she's got her own show, uh, one of the great uh, voices for the conservative movement. So let's call Tommy Laren. it's tommy tommy jason chaffetz thanks for letting me call you i appreciate it got a little podcast we're doing today as we talked about so thanks for letting us uh interrupt your day and thanks for joining us
1: hey anytime for you but only for you jason
0: oh you are <laughs> that that's a good uh, that was some good sweet talking right at the beginning so i want to make sure we get off to a good start um look i've had a chance to get to know you here over the last few years um and you are a genuine sweet nice sincere patriotic person and what i want to do today is kind of explore your your background a little bit more how people get to know you a little bit better you know they see on fox nation they see on fox news and you're one of the more important conservative voices out there and so i I, I, but i want to explore like Why are you a conservative? Like, how did that happen? Most people are good patriotic people, but they aren't necessarily have the conservative backbone that you do. So take us back to you were born in Rapid City, South Dakota, as I understand. And and take us back to that time when you were born and your family. And I don't know if you have siblings or anything, but tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Well, kind of, as you know, because you're from Utah, a more conservative place lends itself to more conservative values. So I'm not one of those people that found my conservatism later in life. I've always been a conservative, but not just because my parents were conservative or voted Republican, because I think when you grow up in a especially in a small state, in a rural state, in flyover country, Those are just kind of natural conservative values that you grew up with. You don't want government interference. You want maximizing freedom and you want to work hard and keep more of what you earn. And it's just that way of life, that lifestyle that lends itself to being more conservative or more conservative individual and voting that way. So that's always been ingrained in me. Both of my parents were born and raised in ranching families. My uncle still runs the ranch on my dad's side. So the ranching community, obviously, that's also more conservative. And it's just a lifestyle that lends itself to those values that this party and this movement stands for. It's America first. It's small town living. It's we don't want anybody, you know, with their hands in our back pocket or telling us how to live life. And also for me, the reason I wanted to get into media and share those conservative values is in the flyover states, we don't get a whole lot of representation. We are kind of those individuals that just work hard and keep to ourselves. And I've always had a big mouth. And I thought, hey, I grew up with these values, all these hardworking people. How can I be an advocate for them and talk about the issues that are important to them? And that's what got me into media and public speaking so
0: you know i I was born in California, so I had a hole to dig out uh, from under um and, and so I didn't grow up with a you know it was kind of a more rural type of setting and i and i my my parents were fairly conservative, but it really you know it did take me a little while personally because once I got a job, got married, had kids started actually really earning that paycheck. Then I figured out, Hey, you know what? I'm a pretty conservative person. Um, uh, And um, I believe in self-reliance and self-determination and, and Liberty and all those things that are just, you know, but it it took me a little while to find that, but okay. So you're, you're in a ranching situation. It's, it's South Dakota. You're a little girl. Um, But what were some of those experiences that really stuck with you and thought, you know, that was that was hard or maybe that was just that's just the way it's supposed to be
1: sure well for me one of the things watching the nightly news and again feeling like they never really touched on issues that were important to people like me and in families like mine and one of the big things to me was the second amendment and gun rights you know watching people talk about mass shootings or watch people talking about the second amendment or assault rifles or the right to self-defense to me, the mainstream media kept getting it wrong and watching the nightly news and watching them repeatedly get it wrong. And then just at a young age thinking, you know, this isn't the way I grew up. This isn't the way that we viewed the Second Amendment. This isn't the way that we view firearms and protecting and defending ourselves. That was one a really big catalyst for me in, in wanting to speak out and to correct the, the narrative. And that was a big one. Also, just- wait,
0: wait, wait. Let me stop right there. Let me jump in there a little bit. It is amazing to me how- Many talking heads are that on television or on the nightly news. It's so obvious that they've never fired a gun, let alone gone into a, you know, a Cabela's or a sportsman's warehouse and actually purchased one. They have no idea how it even works.
1: No, and they don't understand what it's like to people that live in small towns or small communities or ranching communities. It annoys me to no end when I hear these politicians, and we've heard it lately, talking about you don't need an AR-15 or you don't need this to go hunting. Listen, when you have a lifestyle and you grew up on a ranch or you grew up in in a rural area – you don't have police that are close. If I call the police where I was born and raised, it's going to take them 20, 25 minutes at minimum to get where we are. So firearms are, are different to people that grow up in small towns and small communities, especially when you have a ranching or a farming background. You rely on yourself. You rely on your family. We love police. We would love to have police closer, but that's not the reality for people that live in places like I grew up. So watching the people in the media who live on the coasts or who live in big cities talk about the Second Amendment and get it so wrong every time and completely leave half of the country out of the conversation was very frustrating to me and people like me.
0: So how old were you when you when you shot your first gun? How old were you?
1: Well, you know, I kind of grew up having a BB gun. My dad is a gun collector. So that's just been a part of my life. So I live out in the country. I live 12 miles out of town. We don't have neighbors close. So when you grow up in South Dakota, and I know that you know this in Utah as well, it's uh, it's something that you do for fun. You go target practicing, you go shooting. It's just one of those things. And you don't grow up being scared of guns because you're aware. You know how to use a gun. You know that guns are dangerous. You understand it. And then that takes this whole mystery away from, from guns. And I wish more people that were anti-gun would grow up the way that I did, or at least be open to learning about guns. Then maybe it wouldn't be so taboo to them and they would get it. I don't know. Maybe.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, guns aren't for everybody. I mean, I, you know, if they don't want to fire them, that's fine. But what they don't respect is that person who grew up with gun safety, who actually understands how to safely control and clean a firearm and, and, and it's, I think it's also above and beyond just in the rural settings. Cause yeah, I totally feel it. I, I didn't shoot a gun until I was like in camp, you know, I went to like camp and I, my parents didn't have guns, but I tell you what, once I got uh, married and did all that, I, I feel way more safe carrying a, a gun with me in my car, my vehicle on my person. And I feel for that, you know, there was this discussion about changing the age. So you, you, instead of being 18, you have to be 21. And, but why? Like, what about that 18-year-old female who's in the big city and is by herself and it, it isn't physically going to be able to defend herself? But the, guess what? That gun's going to be the great equalizer.
1: Well, absolutely. And as a young woman who's lived by myself for, you know, the last 10 years or more, I can tell you that having a gun at home, especially being the controversial figure that I am, uh, I wish that more women would be open to that because like you said, it is the great equalizer. And I think everyone is anti gun until they're in a position where they might need that gun. Everybody's anti police until they need the police. Right. So it's all about education. I wish the left would be more open to that and just the education of it. And then maybe they would change their tune a little bit.
0: All right, so go, take us through a little bit. So grade school, high school, what was that like for you?
1: I've always been that kid that was interested in politics, and most people are not. And when people ask me why I'm interested in politics, some people grow up playing the band or they play sports. Politics has always been my thing. Public speaking has always been my thing. I'm also an only child, so I spent a lot of time talking to adults. As a kid and living 12 miles out of town where nobody really wanted to come and play because it's far out. And it's just one of those things that you get used to being alone. And for me, what I enjoyed doing was I enjoyed setting up like a video camera and talking to it. That was my entertainment. I like to make movies. I like to make talk shows. I would play with Play-Doh and pretend I was doing cooking shows. I had to entertain myself. And I've always loved to talk. And you could just set a camera in front of me and I could talk to it for hours. So now, that's kind of what sparked this in me.
0: But this 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 politics stuff. I mean, did your mom and dad, did they put a newspaper in front of you? Did they, the, they watch the nightly news and we all sat around and watched that? I mean, where did it had to be sparked somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think it it was really watching the nightly news and talking to my parents about it. Like I said, I'm an only child. So watching the news and then talking about it with my family, I've always been encouraged to have my own opinion on things. I've always been encouraged to express my opinion. And politics has always been that. And those conservative values, like I said, when you watch people that are sitting in D.C. or L.A. or New York talking about things that affect us all, but leaving out half the country and me sitting there in the flyover country in Rapid City, South Dakota, and being like, hey, you guys are getting this wrong. Well, if they're getting it wrong, then there's only one way to fix it, and that's to insert my voice into the conversation. So I've always been into politics, but not even just national politics. I was in student council, elementary school, all the way up through high school. I've always wanted to be somebody that was a leader. I've always wanted to be somebody that was a voice for the voiceless or took on those responsibilities that other people didn't really want to do. So that's always been in my nature to do those things.
0: Now, did you ever run for office as a student something?
1: Oh, yeah. Every every grade that I was in, student council president, class president, that was always my thing. I was in the school board when I was a senior. I was like the school board representative. It, w- it was kind of always me. And I bet they sometimes... loved
0: having you there. I bet they... Well, you know... I bet they... <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I've always been outspoken. But I remember one time and I wrote about this in my book, too. But I remember, you know, if you're familiar at all with South Dakota, you know that we have a large Native American population. And I was from a school that had a large Native American population. So I was a school board representative because I auditioned for that. And I was selected for that after going through an interview process. And uh, I remember one of the school board members telling me in front of everybody at a school board meeting that it was really disappointing that my high school didn't have a Native American representative instead of me as I'm sitting there. Hmm. And, you know, that's my first take of wokeness. And that was back a long time ago. Uh, I guess not that long ago, probably 2010, but it seems like a long time ago. And that was my first take of the woke left, even just sitting on a school board and thinking this is a little odd. Obviously, I said something because I'm not just going to sit there and take this, but that was my first take and kind of, this is how this is going to be. This is how we're going to roll uh, going into 2010, 2011, and then now here we are in 2021 and it's hit epidemic levels, but it's been uh, kind of crawling and creeping into our culture for a long time.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So you get done with high school, you're obviously, you got you got your parents there what was the decision? What were you thinking about? Hey, I'm going to stay in South Dakota. I want—I mean, at this point, you're kind of turning the corner, junior, senior year. Now now, what do you want to do and why?
1: <laughs> I wanted to go to a place that was as unconventional as possible and somewhere that no one from my hometown was going to go to or would ever really consider going to. I always kind of like to uh, march to the beat of my own drummer, and so I thought, hey, Here's a place that's completely different than anything I ever grew up with and a great learning experience for me. I'll go to school in Las Vegas. So that's what I did. Yeah, that's (laughs) about as different from
0: uh, Rapid City as there is, isn't it? Had you ever been there? Was there an attraction to it other than, hey, it's Vegas?
1: You know, I had gone on a couple of vacations there because, again, it was cheap to fly there from my hometown on those wonderful Allegiant flights. So I'm thinking, (laughs) hey, this is a cheap flight, two hours. I can fly back to my hometown, see my family if I need to. But I want to go somewhere that challenges me. I don't want to go to school in a place where everybody thinks like me, looks like me. I want to go somewhere that's very, very different. And Vegas is about as different as you can get. Not only is it diverse, but it's just a weird city. And it's its own Animal, and I enjoyed that. It was a challenge for me, but I learned a lot by being in Vegas.
0: What? So you just you uh, you go to Vegas, you get your undergraduate, uh, but you got your your BA right in broadcast journalism. And political science is that did I is that right?
1: Yeah. So I always knew that I wanted to do journalism, but I did not want to be a news reporter. Sitting there and reading the news bored me to no end. That's never what I wanted to do. I always wanted to talk about it. I've always had an opinion. And you know, like I say, and even people that are in mainstream media now, hey, it's all it's all fine to have an opinion. Just be honest that you have an opinion. I've always been honest, like I have an opinion, and you're gonna hear it. So journalism was the way to get there, but political science and talking about politics is something that I've always wanted to do. So it was actually before I even graduated, I found this this odd little network in San Diego called One America News. And people know it now. Uh, Back then, it was just a startup and no one knew what One America News was. But I wanted to get in on the ground floor or something. And uh, before I graduated, that is the place that I found. And (laughs) boy, um, that was an interesting experience to say the least.
0: (laughs) Well, you've had a couple of them along the way. I don't, but uh, talk to us a, a minute about your advice you would give to young people. You know, a lot of people, um, I, I think, are kind of coming into their own. They're, the world is coming at them at a, at a different speed and velocity than than maybe their parents. Um, but young people, I, I think, wrongly. It's assumed that young people are going to be liberal in their approach. But I actually find that when I talk to them and I hear what's really important to them, they have a big libertarian streak in them. And they're actually more conservative than they realize when they actually talk through the issues and you actually ask them what is important to you and what do you believe in?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's why I love having conversations on college campuses. And I always enjoyed it even when I was in college, because people, especially young people, the one thing that young people hate more than anything else is being told what to do. So I always ask them, if you don't like being told what to do and you're fairly confident that you can run your life better than somebody else, especially somebody sitting in Washington, D.C., why would you ever vote to make government bigger? Why would you ever vote to have more government infringement and interference? And when you break it down to them like that and you explain it in in terms of freedom and maximizing freedom, most people are either libertarian or they're incredibly conservative. Where we lose a lot of young people though, is the social issues. And if anybody knows me in my career, I'm pretty honest about the fact that I am more moderate in social issues. I'm far more of a fiscal conservative. I care about border enforcement. I care about low regulation, low taxes, low government interference, but on the social issues, I'm certainly more moderate. And that's where a lot of young people sit. And I think we could get a lot more young people on the conservative side if we talked a little less about social issues and a little more about financial issues, jobs, protecting our country. I think that's where we could really reach a lot of folks.
0: Yeah, I think if we talked about the proper role of government, what should government be doing, what should it not be doing? And you can take that that to just about anything. You know, when I ran for public office, I Important part to me was, and I and I found this in part through trial and error, but no matter the issue, if you bring it back up to the principle and get the principle right, then you can dive back down deeper into the actual policy and figure out, all right, what would be the right public policy? And look, a lot of these issues are contentious. There are two sides. But I think what I want, what I hope that young people understand and older people as well, is that we can have these vibrant debates, but these assumptions and the stereotypes that Democrats are more compassionate, that they care more. I mean, those types of things just absolutely drive me crazy. And I wish conservatives and libertarians would actually speak from their heart and explain why they believe what they believe. Because when you get to the principle of the self-determination of liberty, of freedom, of, you know, Allowing able-bodied people and encouraging them and saying, you're going to have to work for your future. Um, Those are the types of messages that I think would really radiate if the conservatives and libertarians would get their act together and better speak about them and not just get in a logjam over, well, you know, I disagree on this one issue.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think we need to do a better job of telling our own story because every time we stop telling our story, we let the left tell it for us and they're never going to tell it right. We need to also start showing up on college campuses, start showing up in communities that are more minority communities or Democrat communities that we think that people are not receptive to our message. Everyone is receptive to the message of freedom. Everybody is receptive to that message of accomplishment, self-determination, and earning your way in this life. Everybody appreciates that message. We just have to show up and tell it more. Because every time we don't show up, there's a Democrat or a leftist that's ready to do it. And they're not serving these communities. They're certainly not serving our country. And they're not serving freedom. So we need to stop being so afraid of our own shadow. And also, here's another thing that frustrates me, is people are so afraid. Conservatives are so afraid of offending people that we just don't even have the conversation. We're so afraid of saying the wrong word or saying the wrong thing or being labeled a certain way or being canceled, that we just sit down and shut up. And that's the absolute worst thing that we could do is sit down and shut up, especially in this moment in this country right now.
0: Yeah, the cancel culture is real. And I think people are afraid of it. And I think there are organizations out there that use it as a bludgeoning tool um, I, you know, I saw that play out, uh, the way major league baseball dealt with it in Atlanta and moving the all-star game. I think they paid the ransom because I think people went to him and said, we're going to start calling you racist and nobody wants to be called a racist, but you know what? The Democrats and the liberals have overplayed that racist card saying that you're racist on everything. And I think America's tired of it. I don't, I don't think they want to be, they know that they're good hearted patriotic, People who work hard, work smart, they're just trying to provide for them's and themselves and their family. And I, I think the liberals and the democrats have pushed this, this envelope too far.
1: Oh, they absolutely have. And I think that they're now starting to cancel themselves, which is the funny part of the whole thing. I mean, we're seeing them not even airing the Golden Globes anymore because the ratings are horrible, but also, you know, they're not even diverse enough for their own diversity anymore. (laughs) But the best way to cancel cancel culture is to speak up and to stop bowing and caving to the mob. And people think that cancel culture only happens when it comes to corporations or when it comes to major league teams or people with big spotlight and pop culture. That's not the only place that cancel culture happens. It happens every single day in the classroom. It happens every single day in the workplace, in family situations, in friend groups, in peer groups. If you sit down and you be quiet because you're afraid of offending somebody, you are in effect canceling yourself. You're letting them do it to you. So we need to get a little bit more brave, a little bit more bold and start telling our own stories out there. And it's a story that people want to hear. So stop yeah, being so afraid of your own shadow.
0: <laughs> it, it is amazing because it is bullying if you, in, in its purest, rawest format. And it is just fascinating to me how often those people that preach the most tolerance are the least tolerant among us. And, and and they're so afraid of having a different idea or different perspective or being able to make a decision for yourself and just saying, Hey, I don't want the government in my life in every aspect. I just don't want you here.
1: Well, that's again the message of freedom. That's one that resonates with absolutely everybody. And I also believe that, uh, you know, right now we're made to believe that we're either a victim or we're a racist. That's like half the country is a victim. Half the country, you must be a racist. There's more options at play here. So it's time that we start exploring the other options.
0: You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Tommy Laren right after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. All right, so I want to go back a little bit more to Tommy Laren's life here because um, you actually, my understanding is, uh, I think this is after college, maybe it was during college, but you actually went and did an internship for somebody.
1: Well, I attempted to do an internship at the Blaze. Uh, then they chose somebody else. So my my dreams of being an intern at the Blaze didn't happen. So I found One American News and I thought, I'll just go intern. I'll start at the bottom. And it turns out that they didn't take interns, but they told me to come down and we'll do a screen test. And I talked to the owner at the time and we talked about some conservative principles and values. And he, uh, he told me, hey, well, you know, why don't you... Uh, Come work here and I'll give you a show. I was 21 at the time. I hadn't graduated college yet. And he said, well, when you graduate, why don't you just come here and we'll we'll have your own show, an hour-long show. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, this was unexpected. So you, you showed up
0: for an internship and you got a show?
1: I did get a show. Now, I did – Host a show in college. So it wasn't my first time ever doing something like this. So I do have experience in hosting a roundtable political well, panel show, but obviously it was at college. So it was a little bit different of a game. But that's the nice thing about coming into something that's like a One America news that's a little bit of a different place, is you know, you get big opportunities and people take big chances on you. And you must have seen something in me. And so there we go. I I graduated, I didn't even walk in my graduation. I packed everything up and moved to San Diego. And started my first show at 21.
0: Well, actually, the question I was really getting at is I I had read that you served as an intern for Christy Nome.
1: Oh, yeah. So this was back in college. Yeah, I was her first intern when she was a freshman in the house. That was 2010. And I was, yes, her first intern at the time back in South Dakota and uh, yeah, so she's come a long way since then. I've come a long way since then, but that's kind of where I started in the in the political world. And that's when I discovered I did not want to be a politician.
0: <laughs> well, well, tell me about that experience, because I had the honor and privilege of serving with Christy Nome in the House of Representatives. Um, I think I was elected two years before her. Maybe we were in the same class. I'm, I got to look that up. I'm embarrassed to say it. But if it wasn't at the same time, it was the next class. And um, but tell me, Christy Nome, first intern, you're there in the uh, Rapid City office, right? What th- what are you doing as an intern for Christy Nome in the Rapid City office?
1: People really don't understand what it's like to be an intern for a, a political <laughs> leader. They think it's very glamorous. No, it's sitting there entering business cards into an Excel spreadsheet and taking random calls from people that think that their you know their representatives gonna solve all their life problems and fielding those calls. And that was primarily what I did on a daily basis. Um I remember specifically how boring it was! And I remember <laughs> that in the background, I would have on the uh, Casey Anthony trial, and I would watch Nancy Grace talking about the Casey Anthony trial as I'm entering business cards into an Excel spreadsheet and organizing all the different counties and you know who's the leader in all the different counties in South Dakota. So,
0: oh, the glamour! That's when I
1: realized, no, this is not for me.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so. That's interesting because every once in a while in my own congressional office, I would answer the phones and nobody expects the actual member of Congress to answer the phone. So I'd say, Jason Chaffetz's office. And then the person would just launch into something and I'd say, all right. And they'd say, I just want the Congressman to know. And I say, well, I heard you. And then inevitably they'd realize that I actually, they're like, you answer your own phones? And I'd say, well, honestly, not very often. But it was pretty funny and entertaining because there is so there's such variety of calls that come into a congressional office. Um, So tell me, but you ran for political offices, loosely defined uh, (laughs) in high school. Why won't you run for like Congress or something else? What 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 is it about you that doesn't want to actually run for office?
1: Not right now. I mean, I always said if I'm in Nashville long enough, I'd love to run uh, for the mayor of Nashville because I cannot stand our little tyrant mayor, John Chicken Cooper, here. But politics, I love talking about it. I love being a watchdog for it. I love being a messenger. But I think it's probably just being in that internship. And and you know it because you served. But to me, I also really love to have a good time and I also do love some level of privacy and serving in public office to me doesn't seem like there's any of that involved. So at least for now, as I sit here at 28 years old, I'm gonna go ahead and, and bow out of that one. Maybe someday, I got a lot of years left, but right now I'm, I'm enjoying this process.
2: Well,
0: you have one of the more impressive and influential voices out there in, in America right now. And so hats off to you for 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 doing that and pulling that off. That only happens if it resonates. It only happens if it's true to your heart and your soul. And I I buy into the whole Margaret Thatcher approach to this, which is first you gotta win the argument, then you can go win the office. This is where I think Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, however you wanna define it, really have to win the argument. Because when you win the argument, and you can push the socialists and liberals and Democrats in their in their own position, and, and show the juxtaposition between the two. Then then I think uh, Republicans will continue to thrive in lots of different areas. And uh, but your your voice is as important to anybody because I think you you are you've got a um, your head screwed on straight. You got your principles lined up. And you, you're consistent with what you believe in, and I think that's uh, that's attractive to a lot of people.
1: Well, and I think also it's just about apologize when you're wrong, but never apologize when you're right. And for me, this whole coronavirus thing, I mean, I was one of the first ones that called out this this tyranny that we started experiencing a year and a half ago. And, you know, a lot of people, even on the conservative side, really bought into it. And I said, I can see the writing on the wall here. Like, guys, we're starting to give up our rights a little bit more, a little bit more expecting the government to take care of us and keep us safe and healthy. Um, This is seeming like we're giving away a lot here for the promise of very little And now a lot of conservatives a year and a half later are coming around to that premise. But I was heavily scrutinized back a year ago for speaking out against masks and speaking out against restrictions and closures and capacity limits. I mean, that wasn't a popular thing to say a year ago, but everything comes around. Freedom always wins, Jason. It always wins.
0: It does. It prevails. Liberty. It's in our it's in our core and the American spirit. People are not going to overcome the american spirit so um tommy i i can't thank you enough for joining us but i'm not letting you go i'll you off the hook until you go through our rapid questions
1: all right let's do it let's see if i got them here
0: you you can't prepare i don't care what degree you got from the university of nevada las vegas or what they taught you out on the farm in in rapid city these are tough questions but i know you can get them right because right, there are no wrong answers <laughs> all right ready blueberries or peaches Peaches, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's, Chick-fil-A, favorite sport,
1: baseball, even with everything going on, still baseball, it's still the most American sport,
0: favorite childhood crush,
1: oh boy, Um, probably, I mean, he's so weird now, but I think Aaron Carter, that was probably weird
0: now, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that guy's tatted up and juiced up and with who knows what, but um, I remember. Yeah. Aaron Carter. I, I get it. All right. Hidden talent. Nobody knows about.
1: Oh boy. I mean, I'm actually a pretty good dancer and most people would not think that about me, but I can actually dance pretty well. In did, is that like, Did you
0: like take dance class as a little girl? Or were you in like ballet or something? Or were you just like, I can move?
1: You know, I really just grew up with a love of music videos. And when you spend a lot of time alone, you just pick up things. Just start moving.
0: Just start moving. All right. (laughs) So what was the first concert you went to?
1: Toby Keith. And what a great one to start out with. You know, start with a Patriot and keep that through and through.
0: That guy's awesome. And his voice, man. I wish I had that voice, Toby Keith. But that's a good one. I, I tell everybody I ask this question, mine is, Michael Jackson, Mile High Stadium. But that's a long time ago before, yeah, way before you were probably even born. So it, but yeah, mine was Michael Jackson. Person you'd like to meet dead or alive.
1: Oh boy. So I think, and I say this and people are very confused by this, but honestly it's Hillary Clinton because I think she's so interesting and I'm obviously not a fan, but I'm in some ways, um, a fan a little bit. She's been able to get away with so much that I think she would be a very interesting person to meet. And there's just so much mystery surrounding her. I'd love to meet Hillary Clinton.
0: Wow. You know what? Now that's a conversation I'd actually love to watch. (laughs) Tommy learned. Candid one-on-one with Hillary Clinton. Now that there a few hours on Fox to watch that. That would be good. That would be, uh, that would be fascinating. That's a great answer. All right. Uh, pineapple on pizza.
1: Absolutely. I love it.
0: What, what is tell me you were on a roll. You were getting every question, right? Except you blew that one. You don't
1: you know, put wet like fruit
0: of- on a pizza.
1: You can't well here's the thing most people that don't like pineapple on pizza have not had pineapple on pizza but it's the whole sweet with the pepperoni they complement each other 100% pineapple.
0: You were batting a thousand. Now you <laughs> you blew that one. And the, the referee says no. You did that the judges say no on that one. All right, most embarrassing moment of your life.
1: Ah, oh boy. Um I Well, I'll say this. One time, this was during the height of the election in 2016. I think probably very soon after Donald Trump was elected president, I was pretty happy with myself and the country. And that was a real heyday in my career. So that was the one time I ever pulled the um, trying to get in somewhere like in (laughs) Dallas at a, we'll say, quote unquote, club, tried to pull the do you know who I am? Type of thing. Um, I was just in a Jay Z song as well, so I was very high on myself. That's the one and only time I have ever done that, and it didn't work, and it did not help my situation. And I will never do it again. And that is absolutely embarrassing. I mean, obviously, I had a couple of drinks at that point. It wasn't a, a lucid Tommy that was throwing her own name out. But uh, yeah, horrible. All
0: right, I buy it. That was that was that's pretty embarrassing. All right. Uh, Last time you dressed up for Halloween and what did you dress up as?
1: Oh, well, this past year I dressed up and anyone can check my Instagram. I'm sure that they will enjoy it every year. I I come up with a great costume idea. And this year I was a mostly peaceful protester. Um, Mm. If you would like to see the visuals, go to Instagram at Tommy Laren, and you will see it's very Antifa like. And, but mostly peaceful, mostly peaceful. Well, mostly I peaceful. Think.
0: That's good. That's good. All right. Ideal, perfect vacation destination.
1: So people think this is so weird, but I, for some reason, love Tucson, Arizona and it's because I've gone on a lot of border trips and we stay at the JW Marriott Tucson star pass. And I never get to enjoy the JW Marriott Tucson star pass because I'm on the desert and I'm, you know, looking at the wall and the illegals coming in and I never get to enjoy the lazy river at the JW Marriott Tucson star pass. So for some reason I have a weird affinity for it, but I love the desert.
0: Okay. That's, that's the first time that's come up, but, uh, Tucson, Arizona, it is, um, The desert, I love the desert. It's very serene, very beautiful, very relaxing to me. So, But interesting, uh, interesting choice. All right. If you weren't in politics, what would you be doing?
1: Well, this is still a goal of mine, but I absolutely love reality television. So I'm still planning to do this. People say, like, are you going to run for office? I would much rather be a Real Housewife of somewhere than run for office. I can promise you that. I love reality TV. So... I would love to do something in the reality TV world.
0: Reality Housewives of Nashville or something like that? Is that what we're... Okay. All right. At some point. I think point. we just
1: need a real conservative women of America. Just yeah. something like that. Because Bravo has no conservatives that are outspoken conservatives. There are a lot that are undercover because they reach out to me. But I think that Bravo should just make a big stand and say, we're going to bring some conservatives on and show that they're real people too. And I'm, I'm signing up whenever it happens. I'll be I, the first I, one. I, I
0: like dad. That would be a whole new audience for them. And I think a fascinating look and it'd be entertaining and fun and funny and everything else that I, I like it. That's a good idea. All right. Last question. Worst thing you did as a child.
1: See, I was a very well-behaved child. So well, there's not yourself. a lot. That it's I, just really you. Good.
0: Your mom and dad adore you. So come on. Worst thing you did.
1: Worst thing. I, well, I mean, this wasn't. One time I got the idea that I was gonna pour candle wax down the drain um, mm. to get rid of it. And obviously that doesn't work because that hardens and kind of destroys the the whole plumbing yeah, situation. That's helpful. So yeah. yeah, that's that's what I did. That's probably the worst thing I did, or at least the most like catastrophic that it caused a problem. But Yeah, I'm, that I'm, caused I'm, a
0: problem, but and you're a pretty good little girl if that's if that's the worst thing you did is pour some hot wax down a pipe but i bet dad wasn't too happy cuz yeah that's not easy to get out <laughs> that draino ain't gonna just take care of that one so tommy you are a great voice for american conservative values and uh, tell people really quick where they can watch in about your book and you got a lot going on
1: well, I am primarily on Fox Nation, which is, of course, our digital streaming platform on uh, Fox News. So Fox Nation is where you can find my daily final thoughts, my long form episodes. We just went to the border. We've done a, a lot of things, uh, Keystone Pipeline. All those long forms are there. My book is out, Never Play Dead. And uh, that also talks a lot about my history and, and some of my personal life as well. But then, uh, you know, we're just having fun. Hopefully we can all get back to New York one of these days and do like a a post-Biden speech, something together in person. I'm looking forward to that day.
0: I've always enjoyed uh, our time together. It's, it's, It's always better when you can actually do it in person. And so I hope our paths continue to cross, Tommy, and wish you nothing but the best. And thank you so much for taking time on this Jason in the House podcast. So thank you so much, Tommy, for your time.
1: Of course. And I hope to see you soon.
0: Yes. Well, I get inspired by talking to good people like Tommy Laren. I can't thank her enough for, for joining us. Um, she's just a great American who loves her country and is patriotic. And uh, I can't thank her enough for joining us. But I want to end uh, the whole podcast here with just a bit of inspiration, a little different kind of inspiration than maybe we normally have. I found this at foxnews.com. Red Lobster is looking for a chief biscuit officer. Now, there may be no better job than the chief biscuit officer at Red Lobster. It's in tune with the sweepstakes that they're putting out this week in search of this chief biscuit officer, and they're celebrating their national biscuit day on Friday. But this position is not just honorary. You get to be in this position for a year, um, and you got to be like a gold or platinum member of their Red Lobster rewards program. Which comes with lots of perks, including $1,000 in reward gift certificates, extra Cheddar Bay biscuits to go, or delivery orders, and a chance to weigh in on upcoming new dishes. I'm telling you, whoever pulls this off and becomes a Chief Biscuit Officer at Red Lobster, that'll be inspirational to me because I love Red Lobster. And I hope they find the right person because I love their biscuits. All right, that's it for Jason in the House podcast. You can find more podcasts at uh, the Fox News Podcast Network over at foxnewspodcast.com. That's foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love it if you would like it, give it all those stars, rate it, and subscribe to it. And we'll be back next week with more. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House.